Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, friends, to today's episode of Everyday Truths. Jeremiah chapter 17 in our Bibles today, we covered a whopping two verses last episode. I'll try to do a bit better uh, today, but wow, what a great topic uh, to think about uh, that God knows us and God wants to introduce us to us. He wants to show us what we're thinking and why we do. And oh, Lord, help me to see me the way that you see me. And that prayer for wisdom is just imperative for, for all of us. Verse number 11 of Jeremiah 17, the Bible says, As the partridge sitteth on eggs. Every time I, I see the word partridge, I think about that 1970s sitcom called The Partridge Family. Remember that song? But uh, you'll probably have that, that uh, or that show, rather. You'll probably have that song in your mind right now. But uh, as the partridge, partridge sitteth on eggs and hatcheth them not. So he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days and at his end shall be a fool. So one of the the ways by which the people of God in Jeremiah's day were expressing their sinful behavior. We just talked about this a bit yesterday, their doings, their works, which ultimately were a result of a an evil heart was that they were taking advantage of each other through ill-gotten gain. They were charging exorbitant interest rates. Nobody could trust anybody. Remember, uh, in an earlier passage, we learned that even friends couldn't trust each other. They got to sign documents in triplicate because someone might cheat me or uh, nobody could was trustworthy. Well, here uh, the Bible speaks to that and speaks to you know what what if we people are in the short term getting gain through f- getting financial gain or or taking advantage of people I, is there something to be said for get rich quick is there something to be said for manipulating and being dishonest and and getting ill-gotten gain uh isn't there do, does the end justify the means well, watch the metaphor that God uses in verse 11. As the partridge sitteth on eggs. So the partridge, the, the proverb here in Jeremiah 17 was a bird that sits on the eggs of other birds. So doesn't hatch its own young. And the point would be that the, the partridge would sit on the eggs of other birds. And yet when those birds would hatch, it would, they would recognize intuitively that this was not their parent. This was not their mother bird and therefore would not stay with that bird. So in, in like way, uh, those that get riches not by right, not through honest means, honest work, fair dealings with other people, you know, they might sit on that egg, so to speak, but they're never, it's never going to be it's ill-gotten gain. It's never really truly theirs. It's never. It's it's not long-standing. It's not legitimate. See that in verse number eleven. 
They shall leave them in the midst of his days and at his end shall be a fool. So don't trust in riches and don't feel like there's some kind of a blessing in what you have. I like what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. So Timothy, stay focused on the realities that last, like righteous behavior and being good to people and living godly because riches will flee away. Later in that same chapter, the apostle said to Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Because Why? Because sometimes our, our, our material possessions give us a sense of entitlement, like I'm better than somebody else, or God must love me more, or I'm smarter, or I'm more powerful, because after all, money is power. So charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. Don't put your faith in material possessions, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, those are the rich men, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So understand this, that whatever God has given you, if he's given you an overabundance of it, whether it be riches or talent or whatever that might be, then our spirit ought to be, Lord, I didn't deserve this anyway. It's come from you. You've given us richly all things. I'm going to enjoy what you've given me, but I'm going to be ready to distribute. I'm going to be willing to communicate, uh, to give to others. In other words, I'm going to see the resources, the, the legitimate resources uh, that God has entrusted to, to, to which, uh, that God has entrusted, with which God has entrusted me, and I'm going to be willing to share that with other people. That's the heart of a true servant of God. But unlike these people who were trusting in their riches and feeling as if they could shortcut their road to success and somehow looking at that as a an indication of their power or their blessing and nothing could have been further from the truth. Look at verse number 12. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. So what Jeremiah says is instead of focusing upon transient things like riches and even ill-gotten gain, you know, focus on what is ours, what, what has supreme and spiritual value. And he uses grandiose language in verse number 12 to refer to the fact that we serve the living and true God, the one that sits upon the throne, and we have a representation of the presence of that true God right in our midst. Remember, Jeremiah is ministering during a day when the great Solomonic temple is still standing. Now, it's going to be destroyed in just a few short years. The Babylonians are going to come in. We're never going to see that temple again. 
And yet what Jeremiah is saying is as of now, we have a glorious high throne from the beginning. And it's the place of our sanctuary. It's a, it's a holy place, a place that God has set apart, a place in which God has chosen to set his very presence. And we are God's called out people, God's holy people. What a resource we have in this. Should that not be what we value? Should that not be what's at the top of our list? Should not, should not that be which commands our attention? And yet the people are sitting on these other eggs, aren't they? Not realizing what they have in God, in his presence, in uh, the opportunity to worship him right here. Look at verse number 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. They that depart from me shall be written in the earth. Now think about it. In the middle of the verse, we have a switch from talking about God to God talking, right? So, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee, Jeremiah speaking, shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me, that's God speaking, shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Now, verse 13 is an amazing verse because it's a promise of judgment for those that have forsaken God specifically as the fountain of living waters. Remember all the way back at the beginning of our study, we looked at Jeremiah's very first message. He, he was called in chapter one, but his first message was in chapter number two. And in that chapter, remember, God said through Jeremiah that the people had hewn them out cisterns, you know, cavities in the rock where they could hold water, but they were broken cisterns. They were cracked. And the water, could they, the cisterns themselves were leaking. They couldn't ultimately hold water. So the water they held was brackish and, and stale, stagnant, and was receding because of the cracks. Uh, but they have forsaken me, God said, the fountain of living water. Why would you take a broken cistern when you can have the fountains of living water? And yet what Jeremiah says here in this message is that's what people had done. They have forsaken the fountain, the springs of living water. There, there would be nothing more valuable to a society back in those days than a, a, a bubbling spring. You wouldn't build a city without having a water source. Uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't build a home without having a nearby water source. And the best water source you could have would be a water source of living water, bubbling spring water. And yet the Bible says you have forsaken God who spiritually is exactly that. And the Bible gives a curse here. And it says that those that have forsaken the fountain of waters their names shall be written in the earth. Now, what in the world does that mean? Their names shall be written in the earth. Well, a common practice in that day was for a teacher with his students uh, to sit and to teach and to write things on the ground, the dusty ground, write things in the earth, write, maybe write out the lesson or, or the word that they're studying or uh, a a 
an adult teaching his children, riding in the earth. Maybe you did that as a child. I know I growing up, I grew up in a, a little town called East Heartland, Connecticut, and we would draw in the, in the dust all the time, draw in the earth, write our name. That was common. You know, now today kids have, you know, computers and iPads and all kinds of, you know, audio visual type things. But, you know, back in the day, back in the stone ages, when I grew up, we didn't have those things. And certainly in the Bible, that was not an uncommon thing to write in the earth. Teachers would do that. And yet the Bible says that if we forsake the fountain of living waters, it's as if our name, our reputation, our history, our value is like a name written in the earth. Not, not a name written in stone where you can go by tombstones today that were laid hundreds and even thousands of years ago and see names written in rock. But when you write a name in the earth, then the next time the wind comes, that name is blown away. When you write a name in the earth, the next time a flood comes or water comes or rain comes, that that it's washed away. The point here is that when we forsake God, when we forget, forsake the fountain of living waters, then we live lives that have no eternal significance, no long-lasting significance. I just preached recently at our church here at Faith uh, from John chapter 8. And remember, in John chapter 8, that woman that was taken in adultery was brought before the Lord. And the Lord said to those religious Pharisees, he that is without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. And that's all Jesus said to them. And then the Bible says he just wrote in the earth. He he ignored them and just wrote in the earth. Matter of fact, he did that before he said that. And he did that after he said that. Wrote his finger in the earth. So we find a good New Testament example, right? And is it not interesting that in John chapter 7, Jesus had presented himself to the people at the Feast of the Tabernacles as a fountain of water. Not, not, not the water that they had been carrying up from the Pool of Siloam every day during that feast that had to be carried and poured out. No, but I am a fountain, a bubbling fountain. Like he told the woman at the well, yeah, if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. Uh, I am that fountain of living water. And yet, what had the religious leaders done in John 7? They had forsaken him. Just like these people in Jeremiah 17. And so in John 8, Jesus is writing in the earth. Could it be that he was writing their very names? Could it be that he was writing the names of those religious Pharisees guilty of the same kinds of law-breaking that this woman caught in adultery was guilty of? writing their names in the earth. What a great fulfillment that would have been, right? Of Jeremiah 17, 13. Now, I don't know that for sure, but I like to think that's a great reference to what Jesus was doing in John chapter number eight. I just looked at the clock and we're out of time. So we're gonna quit there in verse number 13. We'll jump into our verse number 14 next episode. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.